Two years ago, on Easter weekend, I could have met you in a back alley and asked almost any price, and you would have paid it. Am I wrong? You know, aren't you so thankful that we're not in those circumstances again, even though a gallon of gas is like $90? Um, we're just going to throw that off stage here this morning. Um, in all seriousness, it's so good to have the building full, to know that there are so many of you next door, online. We're so grateful. You can clap. Thank you, Lord. My name is Gary, and I'm the senior pastor here at GBC, and it is a privilege to welcome you. And I wanted you to know this morning that I've been praying for you. Yes, you. I've been praying that you would hear everything that God wants you to hear this morning. But I know why you're here, at least I think I do. Now you'll say, like, I was invited here, or I come a couple times a year already. But I think I know why you're here, why you've come to church on Easter Sunday. You see, you've come because there's a longing within you, in each of us, for something more, something other, if you will. And so you've come this morning for a variety of reasons, but all connected back to that, that same thing. Some of you have come because racing to and fro amidst the activities of your kids on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and through the drive-through and, and the busyness and the, uh, the noise of family life has actually lost its luster a little bit. Or your time on the field or at the game for your kids, that you begin to demand that they perform to a certain level to your standards, either because vicariously, maybe subconsciously, you're looking for them to fulfill something that you never fulfilled in your childhood, or you just need them to be the best because people are watching. Maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's a musical instrument or drama or, my goodness, academics. Maybe you're on power school constantly and you come down really hard on your kids. Or maybe I'm talking to the student and you're the one who's on power school and you have to succeed because there's something in you that needs to be satisfied. Perhaps it's more sinister than that this morning. You've come because the alcohol that you use to self Medicate keeps your senses dull, and in a weird twist, it's the only reason you're able to perform under the stresses of the job that you do. But it no longer satisfies. And even you admit that you're drinking more than you know that you should. Or worse, the drugs that you've abused to take you to the highest heights are only taking you to the second floor, so to speak. And you're desperate for something more. Maybe you're here because the sexual exploits of your secret life that nobody else knows about, while once giving you at least some level of satisfaction, lately leave you seeking the next thing. A more risque website, a personal encounter, and broken promises. And you've been caught between this overwhelming sense of guilt, which you, of course, tried to dismiss and even, even justify, and the truth that you know that everything, even to this point, has not satisfied you deep in your core. And you know, you know that there's a cost to all this. No matter, you're here because the payoff, the kick, if you will, from all of these kinds of things and more leaves you leaning in for the next thing. There's other reasons, I'm sure. We can't certainly 
cover all of them. Some of you have come here because you've got deep, unanswered questions that leave you dissatisfied or because you're drowning in the responsibilities that you share to care for others and no one's caring for you and you're empty for those reasons. Perhaps for others, the satisfaction is what's dissatisfying. What do I mean by that? Maybe you did accomplish your goals this year or this decade. You've risen to the top, but the top has only left you looking for the next peak, whether that be an achievement, accomplishment, or even compensation. You're here because you finally PR'd in that athletic pursuit that you've been going after for so long. You, you finished building the dream house that you planned for so long. You saw your adult children marry spouses that you delight in. You welcomed your first grandchild, and yet still, in the depths of your heart and soul, there's a dissatisfaction that's there. Tom Brady, of all people, said it best. After winning his third Super Bowl championship many years ago, he said, is this it? Is this all there is? There has to be more than this. And it's notable that he not only went on to play, but went on to win several more times. And even after retiring, he came back. He has to keep playing because it will never satisfy. You've come because everything you've pursued has left you with this ache, this longing, this emptiness might be the wrong word for some of you. It might be exactly the right word for others of you. This knowing that there's got to be something more. And sure, there might be guilt for some of the things that you've done that you know have hurt others or that you regret, but there's also something beyond that or behind just guilt for its own sake. I know that this is why you've come, because it's why I've come too. Even as a follower of Christ, I occasionally will step into things that ultimately are dissatisfying, and I know it, and usually they're, oftentimes they're good things that I'm looking to be ultimate things. Now, Paul Tripp said this in a little different light in one of his devotionals. He said, in the heart of every living person is the longing for paradise or eternity. He said, we all have this longing He says, even when we don't know it. Maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're saying like, I haven't really thought of it that way before, but yeah, I guess guess you're right. He said, we have this longing even when we're not aware of it because it was placed there by our creator. It was placed there by the one who made us. And so C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker and philosopher, we shared this quote before, he said this. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, says it this way, and this is the theme and the title of our message this morning, God has set eternity in our hearts. God has set eternity in our hearts. That's that piece of you and of me. That's why we're here. And so I'm going to invite you this morning to consider that if God is, in fact... And maybe you're not there yet. But if God is in fact the one who has set eternity in our hearts, if he is the one who has made us for another world, then in fact, wouldn't he be the one best to reveal to us? And that's what we believe the Bible is. God's revelation to us. Wouldn't he be the one best to reveal to us how and where that longing that we have can find its satisfaction? And so we're going to do this this morning by looking at Paul the Apostle's second letter to a church he planted in the city of Corinth in the first century. 
And I think there are two ways to hear the message this morning. Admittedly, Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers in Jesus. So if you're a Christian this morning, like me, then this passage uh, and the time we'll spend hearing from God's Word is largely a reminder. It's a reminder of the great gift. Paul will use the word treasure. The great gift that God has given to us in Christ. And he'll encourage us thereby to stop living for things that don't satisfy. All the stuff we talked about in the beginning and others too that I'm sure we didn't name. He's calling us to return to our first love, to Jesus. Second way to hear the message this morning is you're not a Christian, or at least not at this point, not yet. And so as I share this passage with you this morning, I'm directly presenting you with the greatest gift that God offers, but it comes with a question, comes really with a couple of questions. Isn't this what your heart has been longing for? And then I'll directly ask you as we conclude this morning, I want to have the integrity of telling you kind of where we're going this morning. Will you receive what God has to offer you in Jesus and stop living for things that you know are ultimately not going to fill you? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at our text for this morning. Join me in prayer. God and Father, we come before you this morning, an eclectic group of people, Lord, from all different walks of life and all different situations. Lord, many of us came through those doors this morning and there's a variety of stresses and pressures on us. And Lord, I just ask that you would allow us to set aside those, those distractions, Father. God, would you speak to us through your revealed word, the Bible, this morning? Would you, oh God, uh, be our instructor, be the one to teach us, to transform our hearts as we hear your word? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up and we'll begin by reading verses 7 to 13. Paul says this, he says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the, spirit, the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak." So let me set the stage a little bit. Paul is, uh, is talking to a group, he's talking to a group in Corinth about himself and his companions, and they have been traveling, teaching the message of Christ. He says, we believed, therefore we spoke. We share the message of Christ. And he essentially says, death is at work. And he's talking about it in, in at least a couple of veins. Number one, in the world around him, there's a, that this message of redemption and hope is needed. The world is broken. Everything that we began with this morning. But he's also talking his own human frailty as one who's doing the ministry, bringing the word of God. And even the fact that he and his companions have been persecuted at times. You can read in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 11 the, the litany of things that Paul has gone through uh, in his ministry. And so he's saying that, that death is at work. Ministry is hard. Life is hard. The world is hard. It's broken. And he says that God has put this treasure, we'll look at that in a moment, in clay jars. Some of the versions of the Bible, if you have one, will say earthen vessels. Now, why clay jars? Paul is essentially saying God has put the treasure in, in human containers. 
And I was thinking about this idea of clay jars, because in the first century, a clay jar would have been something that everybody who read this letter or heard it read aloud would instantly know what he was talking about. They would have had many clay jars in their home or around their house. They would have been used for noble and ignoble purposes, and inside and outside the home. In fact, some scholars would say that treasures were, in fact, placed inside of clay pots because they were so ordinary that they were a secure place to keep something. They wouldn't be suspected of being there. Nonetheless, I was thinking about the nature of that, and how do we illustrate a clay pot? You know, is it is a crock pot? You know, that's something that we all have, but, you know, it kind of has, you know, one use, cooking, right? And the, the best I could come up with, and I know this doesn't apply to you if you rent an apartment or a condo, but if you rent or own a home, probably somewhere on your property, on your shed or your garage or your backyard or somewhere, you have a wheelbarrow. And it's likely that your wheelbarrow is probably a little beat up and kind of dirty. It's not, probably not something that you wax very often, right? It's just, it's just a thing that you throw stuff in to move it around. It's probably something that most of you have. It's ordinary. It's something we take for granted. My wheelbarrow has a flat tire right now. It's kind of setting me back. It's springtime, but guess what? I have two, so I'm good. But think about what you put in a wheelbarrow. In fact, it, it kind of helps with the connotation of earthen vessel, right? You put dirt in a wheelbarrow. You put rocks, put flower pots, put logs. But sometimes we put something tr- precious in our wheelbarrow. We might even put our kid. I remember when my kids were small. I haven't done this recently. That would be weird but, uh, because they're all teenagers. But putting a couple of them in the wheelbarrow as I'm doing my chores, throwing them right on top of the leaves. And that's kind of the essence of what Paul is getting at here. God has has put the treasure of the gospel into human containers, into ordinary, frail people. So as you come to church today, if you're not a Christian, even, you know, I'm in a suit and everything, we're just normal people. That's what Paul's saying. And the treasure of the gospel is in us. Well, what is the treasure? You got to look back at verses 4 and 6 to really see what Paul defines as a treasure. But he says, the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Quite a mouthful. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, the illuminating message about God's glory that is manifest or made known in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. It's the treasure that he's talking about. God's glory is perfectly seen in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, his forgiveness of our sins through that cross his resurrection. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. And so Paul says, death is at work, but God has put his treasure in regular people, in his human frailty. As he gets to the end of the passage, he then begins to talk about, he says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So death is at work, but life is also at work in a context of death. Thank God that as we come here, we think about the things we contemplated at the beginning, that God has this message of hope. Uh, one th- scholar put it this way. says, God exhibits death in the living that he might exhibit life in the dying. In other words, the, the fra- human frailty, God has put his gospel in that in a context of life is rough and hard so that even as you come this morning, if you don't know Jesus, that you can have the opportunity that even as we are dying, we're all headed to the grave, that we can have life eternal. Not just satisfaction in this life, but that our eternity can be established. God is the one who has provided a way in which we can live for eternity. And make no mistake, every single one of us faces death at some point, and every single one of us will face eternity, either lost forever to pay for our own sins in what the Bible calls a place called hell, 
or found forever, if you will, in the very presence of God because Jesus paid for our sins. And we'll pack, unpack that a little bit more this morning if that message is new to you. But I want to get to the means that Paul talks about for that life, for God satisfying that eternal part of us in the next two verses. So we're picking up verse 14. Paul says this, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Paul says Jesus' resurrection guarantees our own. And he's talking about those who have believed in Jesus. That because Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will one day be raised from the dead. Now let me say something really clearly this morning. Here at Groton Bible Chapel, in 2022, we believe that the Bible is the revealed Word of God. And we believe that the man Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, raised bodily from the dead in human history as a fact of history. We believe that that can be researched and adequately proven from the historical method of researching uh, events. We believe that today, but it begins earlier with where we started on Good Friday, what Pastor Zach helped us to understand. And we believe that Jesus walked this earth, lived a perfectly uh, sinless life, and that he was killed on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem, and that on that cross, he not only died physically, but he bore all of the wrath of God the Father for all of our sins, mine and yours, in himself on that cross. And because he was 100% God and 100% man, he was uh, able to take the full punishment of God, and then he died. Jesus wasn't wounded, he wasn't hurt, he wasn't swooning, he wasn't in a coma, he was dead. And he was placed in a tomb. And three days later, we believe, and we believe history, both biblically and extra-biblically, bears this out, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And here's the deal. The resurrection of Jesus was the validating stamp of approval of God the Father in the sufficiency of that sacrifice on the cross. The resurrection was God saying, this sacrifice for sin is sufficient and raising up the Son to victory. That is the power of the resurrection. And that is what we celebrate here today. And so Paul says, grace won't stop, essentially. He says, grace continues to go forward and go forward as lives are transformed. Now, what does he mean by grace? He's talking about that becoming alive while you're dying that the message of the cross and the resurrection transforms one life at a time to the glory of God. He says thanksgiving begins to overflow flow through a community as lives are changed, as all the stuff we talked about in the beginning finds renewal in Christ. And lives are changed. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 116, and listen to see if this describes maybe not the season of your life you're in right now, maybe, but at different times in your life or someone that you know. He says this, he says, the ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol, that is the place of the, the dead, tore, uh, overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Can you resonate with that this morning? I encountered in this life trouble and sorrow. And the psalmist says, then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. In the next verse, he says, for you, Lord, rescued me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. 
I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And the psalmist is talking about that, uh, that he will walk before the Lord in the land of the living and with two connotations. One, that his life now is renewed. He has new purpose. He has new meaning. He has been given a new hope. But also that when this life comes to an end, he will literally walk with the Lord in the land of the living. This life is not all the, that there is. And he's, he declares that earlier in the psalm. He says, I love the Lord because he's heard my cry for mercy. And because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. You know, that's what we saw resonating through the baptisms we did last week. If you weren't here, we had baptisms right out there last week. And we had them six months ago. And here's the thing. Every time we have a baptism, there are at least one, two, four people that will talk about the fact that, uh, uh, that they've lived for other things, particularly those with addictive back behaviors in their background. They'll say, I have tried everything that can give, me, give you a high in this life, and there is no high greater than following and walking with Jesus. And, and they basically ask us, take my word for it. I've been there. I've tried it all. That's what the psalmist is saying. And someone, someone realizes the power of Christ to satisfy the soul over any other drug or pursuit, and that would include our hobbies and the things that we love to do. It doesn't just have to be the, the negative of addiction, if you will. That he is the only one who truly satisfies the soul. And so Paul says, that changes everything. Our next couple of verses begin with the word, therefore. An old teaching technique is to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? So as Paul gets to therefore in our next verse saying, in light of the fact that death is at work and in light of the fact that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our own, that is for those who believe, he says, therefore, uh, verse uh, 16, we do not give up. We do not give up. Even though our outer person is wasting away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. It's the, the, uh, the myriad of paradoxes in this passage, right? That, that even though we are dying physically, my wife and I were talking about this, and I was talking about this with somebody else the other day re relative to their marriage and staying in, their sh in shape. You know, I'm looking at 50 now. It's, I can almost see it. That the best you will ever look is in your wedding photo. It's all downhill from there. But the hope of the gospel is, therefore, do not give up. Though outwardly we are wasting it away, daily we're being renewed on the inner man, if you will. And then listen to how he uses the language of weight, meaning like heaviness and lightness. He says this, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Listen to what Paul is saying there. He's saying, now Paul is talking about, in the context, the, the trials that he and his companions have been through. And there are many. And they're significant. But what he's essentially saying is in, in teaching us is when he uses the term our momentary light afflictions. In other words, temporary, not that big of deal, trials. He's including in that everything in this life that it throws at us when we're walking with Christ and living for Christ. That could be losing a loved one. It could be cancer. It could be that job you lost. It could be broken relationship. It could be betrayal or rejection. Paul is saying all of that fits under the category of momentary light affliction. But he can only say that when comparing with the eternal weight of glory. He uses a negative word positively. Peter talks about this in his first letter, 1 Peter 1. You can uh, read that on your own. In fact, if you're new to the Bible, I'd encourage you, put in your phone, write down, you can do it right now if you want, 1 Peter 1. 
And Peter talks about the same thing. He kind of amplifies what Paul says here. Despite anything that you may face in this life, it's not even worth comparing the glory that we will experience in the next if we know Jesus and for walking with him. This destiny can be yours. It is the destiny of everyone who has trusted Christ as Savior. So let me go off on a, a little bit of an illustrative tangent this morning. Maybe you've been sitting there this morning and you're kind of thinking and asking in yourself, well, you know, not everything is quite as dire, or to use my word, sinister, as you're making it out to be, Gary. Is it? If what you're saying is true, then what's the place of noble pursuits? What's the place of high achievement? What's the, what about the drive to be an Olympian or the pursuit of a PhD or to aspire to be the manager or senior partner in a company? What's wrong with pushing ourselves to be the best and accomplishing great things and even pushing our kids as well that they might succeed and have the highest levels of success? Well, Paul has already begun to hint at that. It's kind of where we're landing this morning. He says the answer is that the athlete or the student or the employee or the mom or whomever it might be pursues those great ends to the glory of God and not the glory of themselves. That's the essence of what Paul is saying. God is not against going after lofty things. In fact, uh, since I referred to the Olympics, uh, let me reference an Olympian whose Christian legacy might be slowly being lost to the passage of time. I'm talking about Eric Little. Eric Little ran and won a race in the 1924 Paris Olympics that he had no business running or winning for certain. But Eric Little, because of his walk with Christ and his convictions, he denied running the event that he was competing for in the Olympics, the 100-meter run, and instead trained and ran and won the 400-meter race. It's a fascinating story. By the way, it's all captured in the 1981 classic film, Chariots of Fire. So your homework, if you haven't done it yet, is to read 1 Peter 1 and then watch Chariots of Fire, maybe the next rainy spring day. But you know, Eric Little, who's known as the Flying Scotsman, said this about his 400-meter uh, victory. And see how this illustrates what we're talking about this morning. He said, the secret of my success over the 400 meters is that I run the 200 meters as fast as I can. And then he says, and for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. That's what it means to walk with God and to pursue the greatest ends. In fact, the, the most famous quote uh, Little ever said is this. He said, I feel that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. This, this idea of walking with Christ and not pursuing the things of this life for our deep satisfaction is not a giving up of doing things with excellence or great skill or using all your talents. And I wonder this morning, have you ever known what it is to give everything you've got to some endeavor, to pour yourself out, even to the point of exhaustion, using all of your skill, strength, talent, all of it, and to know that God is pleased by what you're doing, to feel his pleasure. I can tell you in my life, I've felt both. I have known the deep disappointment, mostly in myself, for pursuing something out of my own flesh and for my own name and whatever it might be. But I've also known what Little talks about there. And there is nothing like walking with God, whether it be in your career or your family or your relationships or your ministry, and giving Him everything you've got and knowing that you are doing exactly what He's made you to do in pursuit of eternal goals and His glory and not your own. And if that isn't attractive to you this morning, I don't know how else to say it. Because that's the, the, uh, what the gospel opens for us. And so Paul says, therefore, essentially, live for eternity. 
Don't live for now. Live for eternity. He's, there's this idea in what he's saying that there's an, this anticipation that God's going to put everything to right, that everything that's jacked up in this life is going to be put to right. By the way, he expounds on this. Here's your second passage if you want to write this down. Maybe one of the most important chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, write it down. You see, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth in a living hope. That's what God is offering you in Jesus. You see, God has set eternity in your heart. Yes, death is at work. We see it, we know it in the world around us and in us. But life is at work too. And what we're advocating this morning is that Jesus' resurrection in human history is proof positive of that. And so this morning, you're a Christian. Great. Return to your first love. Stop living for things that you know aren't going to deliver. Change your perspective by remembering and focusing on what Christ has done for you. But if you're not a Christian this morning, at least not for the next minute or two, I want to put that question to you again. Isn't this the hope that you've been longing for? And will you receive the offer of what God has for you in Jesus Christ and stop pursuing things that leave you empty. You say this morning, how, how do I do that? The Bible says that happens by repentance and faith. Repentance is simply turning away from all those pursuits, even the good ones. Turning away from your sin, turning away from trying to find satisfaction in everything else and turning in faith to Christ and saying, I believe what you did on the cross was for me and I want to begin to walk with you today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning as we close in prayer. And I'm going to pray on your behalf. I'm going to ask you if you are ready to receive what Christ has done to you for you and begin walking with him today. I'm going to pray on your behalf. You can pray kind of in your heart as I do that. And then Johnny's going to lead us in a final song. Pray with me this morning. Oh God, I thank you for my friends this morning, all who have come. And Lord, I know today that you have foreordained that there be some who came through those doors this morning lost and deeply dissatisfied and will leave here as a child of God. So God, I, I just want to pray on their behalf this morning. Father, God in heaven, I'm ready to leave it all behind. Lord God, forgive me for my sins. I'm turning away from all the things I've pursued that have just left me empty and broken and searching for more. And I'm turning in faith to what Jesus has done for me on the cross, receiving that into my life. God, I want to walk with you beginning today. I don't know everything that that means, but in my heart today, I'm stepping away from my old life and by faith in Jesus, stepping into a new one. Thank you that I can know that my eternity is set. I pray in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want to ask you to just turn to the person next to you as we're singing or when we conclude and just say, I prayed that prayer. Just tell them. Be bold. Come up front, tell Johnny, I prayed that prayer. Grab me, say, I prayed that prayer. Grab somebody in the front row. I prayed that prayer. Tell us so that we can connect you to the church here. Go ahead and stand together and we'll sing this final song. <laughs>